0: Hello everybody, welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals podcast, I'm Justin Cashman alongside Alex Frank, and we have our very first off-season episode. Yes. The uh, Bengals season is over and it's time to turn to the draft, uh, free agency, and even talk a little bit about the uh, current playoffs. So Alex, we got a lot to talk about. Um,
1: There's been some coaching hires too recently.
0: Some coaching hires, um, some actually really big coaching hires actually, um... You know, maybe not to the rest of the NFL world, but to the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, hired some uh, assistant coaches, most notably Frank Pollock. Um, He'll be returning to the Cincinnati Bengals after having a short stint in 2018 with them as their offensive line coach. Um, And if you're a Bengals fan, you saw on Twitter that Joe Mixon, Billy Price, both both of those guys are very excited about Frank Pollock returning. Trey Trey Hopkins Hopkins. said something too. Trey Hopkins. this is probably the best case scenario for our offensive line coach. After having Jim Turner um, basically ruin this offensive line, um, having Frank Pollock come in is going to be a massive, massive, massive upgrade for this team. Something that um, you know I think was the perfect move for them. Uh, you know, what do you ha- what do you think about Frank Pollock coming back to the Bengals? It's a great hire, and I mean, this is what this show
1: is, and the two coaches that we have hired recently. Offensive line and defensive line, which I would, I don't know about you, Justin, but I think those are the two position groups that need the most, that need the most addressed this offseason, but especially the offensive line, because I'll put it to you this way when you allow 48 sacks throughout the season, that's four sacks per game, or I'm sorry, three sacks per game. That's not going to get you anywhere. And when you, and on the defensive line, which the Bengals just hired Marion Hobby, more on that in a minute, he only sacked the opposing quarterback 17 times. That's an average of just over one per game. But going back to Frank Pollock, this is a great hire because he, he looks like a, an offensive line coach. No, no more of this Jim Turner, what the heck's going to, you know, can our offensive line protect the quarterback? It couldn't in 2019 with Andy Dalton. I did not look at the stats from 2019, but you know it was horrible. And, um, where you're led to assume that it was. And then last year, uh, you know, they had, I will say this, they had some injuries on that line. They had 10 different starting offensive line combinations. They, at one point, they went like seven straight games with a different starting offensive line, which is obviously, you know, it it hurts the development of the entire unit as a whole. And, you know, if if you're the quarterback, like Joe Burrow, Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, that's not really... Um, you can't really have a high level of trust and can count on the offensive line to protect you. But this hire with Frank Pollock, we saw in 2018 through the first half plus of the season, this was a very solid offensive line. It, it did it did an adequate job of protecting Andy Dalton. 11 sacks through the first what 11 games. That's one sack per game. So that's better than three sacks per game. And Joe Mixon, which Frank Pollock is also going to be the run game coordinator this upcoming season, Joe Mixon had over 1,100 yards rushing in 2018 and eight touchdowns. So we know that there is potential here. We know that Frank Pollock is very familiar with guys like Trey Hopkins and Billy Price and Bobby Hart, um, Alex Redmond. So there is some familiarity here, but at the same time, you know, this organization has a value when it comes to continuity and familiarity, but this is a hire that yes, was good, but at the same time, don't you feel like it shouldn't have had to be made because we should have kept him? In 2000, Zach Taylor maybe should have kept him, and I think Zach Taylor, you're starting to see, Justin, you're seeing he's reaching out beyond his inner circle with who he's familiar as far as who he's going to bring in to fill out a staff and assemble that coaching staff because, you know, we were told going into the offseason there were going to be several changes made. Well, the Bengals have, what, five or seven assistant coaching positions that need filled. They have two now, and I think you have to be very, very happy and excited and optimistic about the two coaches that the Bengals have hired recently, particularly in Frank Pollock.
0: Exactly, and I think you... Are exactly right in saying that Zach Taylor is reaching outside of his familiar circle. Um, you know, I think this hire had a lot to do with Mike Brown, and I I read an article recently. I can't remember exactly uh, who wrote it, but it was that Mike Brown was um, very uh, what's the word? He was um, he he had, he basically had gone to all the players and asked, you know, who do you want as an offensive line coach? Who do you think is going to be the best fit for this team? And Frank Pollock, by far, was the was the choice, was the answer. Um, and you're right about Joe Mixon you can see why he's so excited you know he had his best year of his career in 2018 when Frank Pollock was there and Billy Price um, despite being a you know bust uh, I think that he played some decent football in 2018 Um, so he's excited about Frank Pollock and I think the big thing is that Frank Pollock really allows a running, he runs a a wide zone scheme, which really fits Joe Mixon's game, because it's going to allow him to have those cutbacks, it's going to allow him to have those big plays, like we saw all throughout 2018, Um, so that's going to be huge, but yeah, I mean, Frank Pollock, he had this offensive line ranked 11th uh, fewest in sacks in 2018, which is a massive upgrade from what this team has had the last couple years, and then you saw him with the New York Jets, I mean, they didn't have the most talented offensive line, but... You know, guys like Connor McGovern and then a rookie last year, in Mackay Becton, they played really, really well. And you have to remember, in 2018, this offensive line didn't have a ton of talent. It was highlighted by guys like Cordy Glenn, Clint Bowling, Christian Westerman, Alex Redman, um, Bobby Hart. I mean, it's not—it wasn't a very solid group. But he had them ranked 11th, 11th fewest in sacks, and I think that's a huge accomplishment. Um, so I think that he's—you know—I think he's going to really change the uh, culture. Because, you know, I remember the whole thing when Jim Turner got hired was culture. Obviously, he had the huge um, uh, incident in Oakland with Richie Incognito, or not, uh, with in Miami, excuse me, um, with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin during the whole uh, bully scandal. Um, so that was a huge thing with Jim Turner and just the culture that he would bring. And I think that was a really questionable hire when Zach Taylor brought him on. Um, and, you know, just from the guys already reacting to Frank Pollock, you can tell that it's already going to be... Uh, 10 times better than what it was with Jim Turner. And you have to remember, when Frank Pollock got fired, Joe Mixon took to Twitter and said, so we're just going to fire the best offensive line coach in football? Okay. So he was really pissed off about it. And it's good to see these players, you know, speaking up. You know, we hear about Mike Brown approaching these players, which is already a phenomenal thing, because I don't think that's something that he's done necessarily a lot. Uh, But it's good that these players are speaking up and saying, you know, we only have a short amount of time in the NFL. You know, we have to make the most of it and having the right coaches and having the right schemes and you know the right play calling it's going to be huge and Frank Pollock is going to be a huge part of that um, so I think Zach Taylor I, it's, it's hard to say whether or not Zach Taylor had a huge say in this I think he understood and heard from his players and Mike Brown that Frank Pollock is a guy that um, you know a lot of these guys really want and obviously he was really good with this team in 2018 um, and I think more than anything, it just shows that Mike Brown you know when Zach Taylor first got brought on in uh, the 2019 season, he says okay well i 'm going to trust you to bring in guys that you trust because you know i 'm putting my trust in you, my faith in you with this team um, i 'm going to believe in what you believe in um, and I think that Zach Taylor you know he obviously brought in the guys that he brought in, and it turned out not to be very great and then Mike Brown, I think this is showing that you know he 's done some unconventional things over the last couple of off seasons breaking the bank. And then now he's saying, listen, we're going to bring in the guys that I really want to bring in that I think you should bring in, not just the guys that you want to bring in. He's saying that to Zach Taylor. And I think that is really important. I think that's going to be a huge key moving forward. And then I know we've touched on a lot on Frank Pollock now. They also signed Marion Hobby as their defensive line coach, a guy who just spent the last couple years with uh, the Miami Dolphins. And despite... uh, Uh, lackluster roster on the defensive line that actually had some success and then he was also with jacksonville during their um you know the whole saxonville area when they had that dominant uh, defensive line and he also spent time at clemson uh also spent time with a guy like dj reader who's obviously on the Bengals. so uh alex what do you have to say about marion hobby
1: well more real quickly going back to frank pollock um You know, I think you're just seeing these players are excited about him coming back because they saw the potential that was there in 2018. And you think about what Mike Brown, you know, saying to Zach Taylor, hey, this is who I want. If this was a Mike Brown hire, you know, more so his say than Zach Taylor's, that actually is a shift in thinking for Mike Brown because I was reading an article in The Athletic back in November, um, Dan Pompey did a profile on Marvin Lewis, and, you know, Marvin knew the kind of players that this team needed to, you know, compete in the AFC North. And what kind of players, Justin, do do you need to compete in the AFC North? You need offensive linemen and defensive linemen. This is a division that is old-school, smash-mouth, in-your-face football. This isn't a division where you're going to take the top off of, you know, a defense like an NFC South or an AFC West. This is, or even the NFC West as well, this is a division that requires you to have strong play in the trenches. This show, you can title this show, if there was an episode title for the show, other than the one that we have, it could be called Trench Warfare because we hired an offensive line coach and a defensive line coach, and we've seen the success that those two, that these two coaches have had. I think a lot of what's happened with the offensive line over the last two years, yes, a lot of it was on Jim Turner's inability to get them to you know, protect Andy Dalton in 2019 and Joe Burrow last year and the inability to establish a run game, hence also why they gave the title of run game coordinator to Frank Pollock and they also let uh, former running backs coach Jamal Singleton go. It will be interesting to see if they bring in a new running backs coach, but I'm not saying that everything that happened in the offensive line was um, can be uh, placed on the shoulders of Jim Turner it, because Clint Bowling retired Um I feel like there was another
0: the whole Cordy Glenn yeah the whole situation. Cordy Glenn
1: thing that's not a Jim Turner thing that's a uh, that, that's a coaching staff... that's a whole wide coaching staff issue so there was Clint Bowling retiring um, I, I feel like there was Christian Westerman retired uh, Christian Westerman retired uh, there, ha- there was another um, I feel like there was something else that happened that was that was not a result of Jim Turner. In addition to Boleyn retiring. And I don't remember what that was. Um, Shoot. Anyway. So. Oh. um, Jonah Williams going down in OTAs. Yeah, correct. Or not OTAs. Minicamp. That's what it was. We He sustained the injury around that time. And then after minicamp was over, they realized that he had a torn labrum. I believe that's what it was. So they, you know, he was out for the season. So. The offensive line, the issues that were happening surrounding that unit, it were not a direct result of Jim Turner. But let's be honest: if you thought Jim Turner was going to work out as an offensive line coach, you were delusional. Because we knew the baggage that he had brought in and the the dark clouds that had hover, that were hovering over him when he arrived here. They were, and and you know they were justified because this offensive line was not good. I mean, you saw the Eagles, the Ravens, the Chargers. Uh, the Steelers, whoever it was, they beat up on this offensive line. It was not good. They could not compete with elite defenses and elite pass rushes in the NFL. And you have to have that. You Look at what the Browns did in, in the offseason prior to this season, Justin. They bring in um, Jack Conklin. They bring in, um, they draft Jedrick Wills. Wyatt Teller was one of the best offensive linemen, if not the best offensive lineman in the league. I think, was he the highest graded player in the league at one point? I
0: believe he was statistically the highest PFF graded uh, yes. player. Yes, and you think about J.C. Treader, the
1: center. I mean, the Browns completely transformed their offensive line, and look what that did. It unleashed one of the league's best rushing attacks. It protected Baker Mayfield, allowed him to utilize his weapons, Jarvis Landry, and look what the Browns did this year. They won 11-5 in won a playoff game, and they... Nearly took down the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. More on that at the end of the show. So this hire for Frank for Frank Pollock, Mike Brown now knows. Hmm. We need an we need an actual adequate offensive line coach, not just someone that you know filled the position. No, we know what we need in this division to win. You can have you know an elite group of weapons and T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, um. You know, Gio Bernardi, even Joe Mixon, you can have an elite group of weapons, but at the end of the day, you also you, you can't utilize them if you don't have an offensive line protecting your franchise quarterback. Everything Mike Brown has done the last two off-seasons, or at least one full off-season and the start of this off-season, is because they're doing everything to invest in Joe Burrow. You And I think we're starting to see that. So let's go to Marion Hobby. Um, great hire. I'm a huge fan of it, particularly because... A, he's had success almost everywhere he has been recently with the Dolphins. I, I looked at, you know, the Dolphins. You know, he developed Raekwon McMillan, um, who was, a I believe, a seventh. Was he a seventh-round pick, if I'm not mistaken? I think so. You go back to, um, yeah, Raekwon McMillan. It was actually um, Zach Sisler that I'm thinking of. Zach, S- or Zach Zyler. Uh, Three-and-a-half sacks, 11 quarterback hits last year. So, the Dolphins... They were the number two scoring defense in the league. And this is a defense, this is a team who went into last year, week 17, 30 of their 53 players on the roster were either seventh round picks or undrafted free agents. Think about that for a minute. And they got the most out of the roster that was you know, they had in their possessions. That right there is called coaching. But before that, Marion Hobby was with the Jaguars. And as you mentioned, Justin, he was with the, in, in their
0: Saxonville, which was
1: only two years. Can we really call it an era?
0: No, I, but you can call it a moment of dominance by a certain positional group. They were really good. Yeah. I mean, you remember when we played them in 2017, we got
1: destroyed.
0: Yeah, it was bad.
1: Um, And that defensive line, by the way, we can look at some of the, the players that were on that, that defense— that had the third most sacks of any team in the last seven years. 55. Yeah, that's over, that's almost three and a half sacks per game, which you can say that's not that many. Yeah, it is. Do you, do you know how hard it is to sack a quarterback in this league? Do you know how hard, you know hard it is? I was thinking about this yesterday. Do you know how hard it is to physically move a 300 pound plus human?
0: I would imagine it's pretty hard.
1: I mean, how—I mean, and, and, and they do it like, you know, it's just their normal everyday activity. They just—you they you know, they try to move a 300-pound human. I mean, Derrick Henry can throw Grumman into the air, apparently. um, no, that's a corner he threw, but still. Okay, so Jacksonville that year had players on defense by the names of Calais Campbell, who had 14 and a half sacks, in addition to 14 tackles for loss and 30 quarterback hits. They had— Malik Jackson, who had eight sacks, ten tackles for loss, eleven quarterback hits, Yannick Nagakwe, 12 sacks, 23 quarterback hits, and then Avery Jones, who also had a sack. So right there, that's 12 for Nagakwe, 8 for Jackson, 14.5 for Campbell. That's almost 40 sacks right there. And then you add in the linebackers that they had in Miles Jack and uh Dante Fowler had eight sacks. Um
0: Telvin Smith.
1: Yeah, Telvin Smith, 55 sacks. That defense, and they were second in the NFL in points allowed per game. I mean, that was a ferocious defensive line, and it was a very talented defensive line. And even 2018, when they kind of fell off the cliff, they were 5-11 and that year, a significant step back from the previous year when they came within minutes from reaching the, the, the Super Bowl. I mean, you remember, they were up 10 in the fourth quarter with the ball, by the way. Against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, and had it not been for deciding to throw the ball and a brilliant defensive player by Stephon Gilmore, they would have been in the Super Bowl. They would have been in the Super Bowl. So this is a this is a coach who has proven experience. And then and then let's go back to his previous stint prior to Jacksonville. Who was he with? Clemson. And who was there that we now have as the face of our defensive line? DJ Reeder. And did you did you read the article? I read, I, I was reading this this morning. Jeff Hobson um, wrote something recently. DJ Reader, you know, kind of told him, "Hey, if you come here, this is the this is a good decision for you." Yeah, it was basically yeah. DJ Reader who kind of s- solidified the deal for him to come.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's super important because when you have guys that. Um... You know, play for a team that you're familiar with, and you hear, "Hey, listen, you know, we got a really good thing going." Um, You know, he's familiar with DJ Reader, obviously a guy who's had tremendous success since being in the league and had tremendous success at Clemson. Um, You know, you're gonna you're gonna be interested in that position, and I think that Marion Hobby was kind of like Frank Pollock. It was probably one of the best hires I could have had. Not only because he's gotten the most out of the defensive lines that he's been coaching, but I think just because there's already some familiarity, and I think. Not only DJ Reader, but I think he was also had Mackenzie Alexander on Clemson at the time, which um, he's not going to be he his uh, exact positional coach, but you know, there's still that familiarity, there's still that uh, camaraderie, which I think is super important. But I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Dolphins' defensive line in 2020. Um, you know, their best defensive lineman was what Emmanuel Ogba. Yes, which, no which which Emmanuel Ogba is not a household name. I'll tell you that much. Um, but their defensive line ranked 6th in the NFL in points allowed. Or, sorry, their defense ranked 6th in the NFL in points allowed. They are tied for 10th in sacks and 1st in 3rd down efficiency, which is tremendous if you consider the roster that they had. I mean, it was highlighted by Emmanuel Ogba, Christian Wilkins, who hasn't necessarily been phenomenal despite the first being a first-round pick. Um, I'm trying to... Shaq, Shaq Lawson, I think? Shaq Lawson was there. Uh, who's been up and down uh who else i mean it was. and remember just how destructive they
1: were against us in week 13 i mean they held us to 40 rushing yards and only 196 total yards and think about this almost half those yards came on tyler boyd's touchdown in the first quarter they were otherworldly dominant against our defense in that game
0: and they're playing against good offensive lines in the afc east i mean the Bills, Patriots, and Jets all have above-average offensive lines, at least to me. Yes. They're all highlighted by pretty notable guys. I mean, the Jets probably have the worst offensive line of all of them. But still, I mean, it's they're not bad. They're not bad by any means, at least not in my opinion. Um, so Frank Pollock and Marion Hobby, I think Zach Taylor and Mike Brown in this organization have done a phenomenal job bringing these guys in. And the word I was thinking about earlier was they're very calculated in trying to bring these guys in. Um, you know, and it's...
1: It's becoming that way. I mean, well, because they used to be calculated in, in terms of, okay, what's the cheapest option? Like, remember Kevin Benter Remember mm. Carlos Dansby? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Long way away from those. Preston Brown. And he was... I mean, He wasn't very good, but I will say this. He did make some critical plays. I mean, he did have a few, he did have a couple of interceptions. Yeah, the
0: interception in the first game against Colts. And that was about it.
1: I mean, he was terrible at tackling, but I mean, we, we brought him on thinking, okay, this could work out. No, it didn't. Continue. Yeah. Sorry to get you.
0: But I think, you know, having these two guys come in and the Bengals had arguably the worst offensive line in football in 2020, their leading sacker was Carl Lawson, who I believe finished with five and a half or six and a half sacks. I mean, that is not going to be a winning formula for any NFL team. And then Frank Pollock, you know, the Bengals had one of the worst offensive lines in football last year, and he's going to, um, you know, I think, in my opinion, going to be a significant turnaround, and I think this offensive line will play for Joe Burrow, and they're going to be uh, tremendous next year. I mean, given the given that it sounds like Frank Pollock already has uh, an idea that maybe they're going to bring in some outside guys for this offensive line in his interview, um He didn't necessarily say, listen, we're going to bring in guys from other teams, but it sounded like he was almost alluding to that. I wish I don't have the direct quote in front of me. Um, And that was what I kind of wanted to transition into next next into um, was what guys are this team going to bring in in free agency?
1: Hopefully some high profile quality players or whatever position. But going back to a point you brought up at the beginning of the show when you said, what significance do these coaching hires have outside the Bengals organization? I don't know, but I will say this. Within the organization and within this fan base, they hold a lot of significance, and Marion Hobby should. Because, listen, did you know who he was before he got hired? Because I sure as hell didn't. No. Okay. You knew who Frank Pollock was. That was a great hire. And you can say well, you're well, you're going with familiar faces, yes, but at the same time, if it works, I'm all for it. You know, there is there is some value to... to This is what the Bengals front office does. They take the emotion out of everything and they think logically, and part of logic is okay, familiarity. In this case, it works because Frank Pollock had success here in 2018. You know, you see these organizations that emotionally fire head coaches after one season, two seasons. You know, they get rid of their quarterback, whatever, they bench their quarterback. Which, yes, you are trying to win, and sometimes you play the emotional side when you are trying to win aggressively, but then at the same time, look, there's been success here before. I mean, the Bengals made seven playoff appearances in 11 seasons, partly because they were able to keep a majority, or at least the core of their roster intact, and now that Mike Brown is willing to open the checkbook a little bit, hey, you can do that, and you can spend to what you're saying in free agents. Um, now, you know, free agency and the draft are going to be the two biggest chunks of this offseason.
0: For sure. And, uh, I just want to add real fast to the, what you were just saying that the Bengals, you know, you know, business as usual was, um, for a lot of these positional coaches is if they're bad, they might consider firing them. They probably will end up firing them. But if they, you know, a lot of these guys on the team, these positional coaches, um, you know, I think that they're very stagnant. They don't elevate necessarily the the group of players that they're coaching, but it's kind of just keeps them at an average level. He's not going he's not making them worse, he's not making them better, and uh, they see that as okay. Well, you know, um we're not getting worse, so let's keep him around. I think now they're saying, "Listen, this guy, th- you know, this guy who's coaching this positional group like a Nick eason or a Bob picknell while the positional group may have not gotten worse or better, we need to just have someone that's going to elevate elevate the uh, positional group Jim Turner you know I think arguably he probably made this group worse but say he kept this offensive line at a you know steady pace of playing just average the Bengals need to you know reevaluate all those guys and say okay if they're just playing at an average level and this coach is just getting the you know the average uh, effort out of these guys that's not going to cut it we need to get we need to get someone who's going to elevate all these players games and who wants you know these players to buy in and you know believe what they're playing for and, uh, you know, I think that's something that this front office and this coaching staff are really hammering down this offseason.
1: Yeah, and think about this, too. I mean, you, you talk about just keeping your position groups at average. Bob Bicknell and the receivers last year, I mean, this, this Spangles wide receiver core, receiving core, we talked about it last year. It's actually a good And after a good year, they still let him go. See, that's what makes a mixed-grade organization. You're thinking long-term we're good now but we can be even better if we if we maybe bring in someone to elevate that talent now i'm not sure who they're going to bring in as as a wide receivers coach that remains to be determined but let's talk about some free agents because there are some free agents out there that we would love to see the Bengals hire uh, or Bengals sign
0: and i'd say most notably is the guy that i've heard almost every single Bengals fan talk about is uh offensive guard for the patriots joe tooney um he was franchise tagged and he just played this season, I believe, uh, on a one year, $14 million franchise tag for the Patriots. Um, and it was some kind of crazy stat where he had only given up three sacks during his, uh, you know, the last three years or something with the Patriots. I mean, he is a phenomenal uh, guard for the Patriots. He has been the cornerstone offensive line piece for that team for the last few years. Um, he's been fantastic. And I think bringing in him to Cincinnati as a local guy, you know, we were talking about this earlier, he's from the Dayton area um that would be uh probably one of the biggest signings this team has had in quite some time I think even bigger than the DJ Reader and Trey Wayne signing last year um and so I think Joe Tooney is right now at least for me the number one guy that this team needs to bring in I think it's it's not a busted offseason if they don't but I think that not bringing him in is going to be uh detrimental um to the um progression of this offensive line And then another guy that I think is really important that we could bring in is Brandon Scherf. Uh, Brandon Scherf has been phenomenal. Uh, An Iowa guy, he was a number five pick in the draft, uh, I believe in 2013 for Washington. He's been great. Um, He had a phenomenal season this past offseason. I think his PFF grade was like 75 or up. I mean, I think he's had that grade for every single season he's played. Um, So he would be a phenomenal pickup. Uh, And so those two guys are the two Uh, most important pieces on the offensive line that I think this team can make um, in the offseason. Another guy that I think is probably not as realistic of a uh, pickup, but I think is something that, or a player that I think is, you know, still would be a very valuable signing. It's going to be really expensive. Is offensive tackle, Trent Williams, who just spent this last season with uh, the 49ers who had a phenomenal season. I think his PFF grade was like over 90, maybe. I mean, he was fantastic in, uh, you know, I know we have Jenna Williams, but um, I think maybe he can kick in the guard. Trent Williams on the outside. Um, you know, anything to upgrade this offensive line right now. I think is the most important. Yeah. And the thing the most about offensive aspect. line
1: and this we have seen recently is if you can play. Mul- I mean, you have to be able to play multiple positions because you can't just be um, def- you can't just be strictly a left tackle or a left guard. You have to be able to play all five positions. I mean, how many? I mean, Trey Hopkins. When he first broke in, he was a guard remember and now he, and then he was thrust in the duty as a backup center when Billy Price goes down now he's the starting center. think about um who else you, you just you just know that you you have to be able to play multiple positions on an offensive on an offensive line now Trent Williams is interesting because he is a little bit older than some of the uh, names you mentioned prior to him you mentioned. Scherf and Tooney. Scherf has been in the league since 2015, so still young, still on the front nine of his career. And Joe Tooney, who has only been in the league for five years, one year less than Scherf. And Tooney, obviously, coming from New England, where they had numerous great offensive lines. And I mean, heck, he, he went to three Super Bowls, won two. So you, you immediately bring in um, pedigree there with, with sorry, um, if you do bring him in. Trent, yes, he's been a stalwart at left tackle throughout his career with 10 years in Washington, last year in San Francisco. And you know that if you do bring him in and you want to put him at left tackle, you are going to um, create maybe some competition for Jonah Williams because I, I, I hate to say it, but is Jonah Williams becoming a little bit of a bust right now? I mean, he missed his entire... What was supposed to be his rookie season. He missed some games last year. Are, are we really, and by the way, if you're going to go into this season with Fred Johnson Fred Johnson as your left tackle, no. Sorry. If you're going to go into this season with Bobby Hart as your right tackle, no. Sorry. Now, thankfully, Bobby Hart hopefully will not be back because he, you know, he is a free agent right after this offseason.
0: No, not this no. not this upcoming offseason but next offseason. Yeah, off season. why did I say that he
1: signed with a three-year deal? But again, you don't have to bring him back. I mean, you, you could end up you know cutting him, releasing him, whatever you want to do. But what I'm saying is bring in some guys to create some competition. Don't just you know have internal competition with who you have currently. Bring in some outside guys like Scherf, Tooney, and or Williams. And that's what you need because this offensive line, it has potential, it performed well at times last season, a la the Tennessee game, the Jacksonville game, but at the end of the day, there were still games where this offensive line was not where it needed to be, particularly to win, you know, the way you start becoming a winning franchise is being able to win within your own division. I mean, the Bengals can't even beat the Browns right now, and I say that because the Browns used to be that hapless franchise coming into this season. Now, all of a sudden, they're a contender. You know the Steelers, you know the Ravens, you struggle to beat them, I mean, the Ravens, you can't even score a touchdown against, for crying out loud. At least the Steelers, who scored 27 points on them with a third-string quarterback in Week 15. So this is, this is an offseason where you really need to address the offensive line. And not just bring in a guy like Xavier Suofilo, who did, yes, perform well towards the end of the season. Let's, let's be honest. But at the end of the day, you need someone much better than him.
0: Yeah, and I I had mentioned Trent Williams PFF grade it was a 91.9 at 32 years of age and with a new team and I mean that new scheme new scheme yeah exactly and his average salary right now um let's see is uh, almost $14 million a year so it's going to be an expensive signing if they want to bring him in but you can't be scared to sign guys like that to big money contracts because at the end of the day the upgrade that he brings is well worth the money and like you said you know jonah williams i mean i hate to i hate to say it but he might be a bust i mean he might be he's missed 22 games in his first two seasons i mean that is you know getting toward bust material and i i wouldn't even necessarily say that he was a phenomenal um left tackle i mean he, he played he played well i think he played a little bit above average he was definitely the bright spot on a really bad offensive line but I mean, he he wasn't anything special. He, he was a bright spot. He was a brighter spot. I mean, he, I, I mean, he the was bright spot was Trey Hopkins. Yeah,
1: but if you're saying Jonah is one of the, our better offensive linemen, yes, I kind of disagree with what you just said because I, I, I mean, to me, like I wasn't overly impressed with Jonah Williams. And he comes in with all this potential. He was durable, and then like you said, he's missed 22 games in his first two seasons. How are we supposed to know if you can play if you're not even playing?
0: Exactly. And yeah, I mean you're right. I don't I don't I wouldn't say that maybe he was the best player because I'd, I'd give that to Trey Hopkins, but I think that um you know, having missed as much time as he has and, you know, still being a pretty young guy, I think that he played decently well. Um but I think next year it's either he starts 16 games or they're going to have to start considering you know, maybe he's not the right guy for this team, even though we drafted him with the number 11 overall pick in the draft. Um, you know, you have to have a short-term memory in this league. You can't just keep saying, well, you know, this guy is going to eventually come back from injury. He's going to come back from injury. He's going to be great. It, it doesn't always work out like that. I mean, you see guys like Jason Barrett for the 49ers this year. Um, they keep betting on him, you know, to say he's going to come back from injury. He's going to come back from injury and finally had a good year. But that's an anomaly. That's not something that happens very often. And especially for this Bengals team, who is always riddled with injuries. Um, you know, it's just not something I would bet on. Um, but as much as this league is a
1: brotherhood, this is also not a sympathy league. Just because you're hurt on more than one occasion, they're not going to, I mean, teams are not going to, you know, keep holding out hope that you're going to stay healthy. If you get injured twice, and you miss the end of the, if you miss the season, I don't care if it's because of something you did or just something that happens, they're not going to keep you around. The oh, the other added benefit to having tra- Trent Williams is you have a veteran left tackle, and think about the edge rushers in this league that are veterans. T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Calais Campbell, Matthew Judon. Think about that. And now you're going to have Trent Williams blocking against them. I would want that if I'm Joe Burrow. I want a, you know a big, bad offensive lineman in the trenches to... Frank Pollock, master the mundane and, you know, protect the investment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's well worth the investment. I mean, this division has some of the best edge rushers in football, and if you're going to want to block them and block them well and keep Joe Burrow healthy, a guy like Trent Williams is almost a no-brainer signing, or Joe Tooney or Brandon Schrift. Those are no-brainer signings because even though you're going to have to pay him 10 11, twelve plus million $11, plus a year, would you rather be paying a guy $3 million a year and having your star quarterback hurt? No, you wouldn't. You'd rather pay... Uh, that much money and not have to worry about your star quarterback, your young quarterback, you know, tearing his ACL, MCL, and whatever else it was, all the ligament damage like he did against uh, the Washington football team. Um, but so those three guys, Tooney, Scherf, and Williams are the three guys that are really going to ask for, you know, the most money, 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year, like I said. But there's also some cheaper options on the offensive line, which I know, I, I don't think any Bengals fans would necessarily be happy with these guys. But I do think that they would maybe provide some good value if the Bengals decide they don't want to break the bank on the offensive line. So guys like Corey Lindsley, center for the Packers, Austin Blythe, uh, guard slash center for the Rams, and Matt Filer, uh, tackle slash guard for the Steelers. Guys who have not necessarily been as good as guys like Tooney, Scherf, and Williams, but have also been the brighter spots on their respected offensive lines um and you know those guys are probably going to ask for anywhere between you know six seven eight million dollars a year so you're definitely saving some money but i think the only way that this team would be able to sign those guys is if they use that utilize the money that they'd save from not signing a guy like uh tooney scherf or williams on a, a free agent wide receiver um like alan robinson like the marvin jones like a corey davis um so and marvin
1: jones has some familiarity with the organization i know this coaching staff doesn't but I mean, you think about... Well, I mean, obviously Andy's not here anymore. Um, you would have some familiarity if you bring back Marvin Jones. I would actually... I actually wouldn't be opposed to it. He hasn't... You know, he hasn't completely
0: done a whole lot in Detroit. I feel like...
1: He just some, came off a
0: 900-yard in like eight touchdown season. I, I shouldn't... I, 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 excuse me. Walk that
1: back. Um, I, I'm saying things without looking at him. So uh, Marvin Jones... Uh, 900 yards, 8 touchdown season, which, yeah, I mean, that, that is pretty good. I guess I'm just thinking about all the other great receivers that, that there are in this league. Marvin Jones uh, in his time in Detroit, so 2016 through this year, uh, his first season, 55 930 and 4 he had a, uh, a 1,101 yard season, 9 touchdowns in 2017. He has had back-to-back seasons of 9 touchdowns, 62 receptions, 76 this year, 62 last year Kind of had a down year in 2018. He didn't only play nine games. So I guess, I don't know why I said that, stupid me. Um, that's happened twice now um, in the last week. I'm, I guess Marvin Jones, uh, he's going into his year 10 season. There would be some merit to bringing him back, you know, having a veteran wide receiver on the opposite side of T. Higgins if you ultimately do get rid of A.J. Green, which I think you should. Um, there is. Um, there are some receivers out there it's just a matter of what position are you going to address the most in free agency because free agency is first so what position are you going to address there and then you have to address the other in the draft or
0: maybe you do both in both instances i don't know or uh one scenario that i saw the other day was um listen at the end of the day this team is going to have a bunch of uh cap space aj green's gone Geno atkins is gone um, they could save money by cutting a guy like Bobby Hart. They could save a lot of money if they cut or restructured a contract like Giovanni Bernard. Um, but uh, in one of the scenarios I saw the other day was, you know, look at the Packers, what they did. They had an issue at Edge Rusher. They signed Zadarius Smith. They signed Preston Smith. Then they went out and drafted Rashawn Gary. And that has made them, you know, one of the most feared defensive lines in football. Uh, more. I mean, I'd say they're more underrated, but, you know, they're still one of the most productive Um, defensive lines in football. I think both Preston and Zadarius Smith had 10 plus sacks last year Um, and then they just had a phenomenal game uh, and they've been playing phenomenal in the playoffs. So uh, maybe you go out and sign a guy like Tootie and then you sign a guy like Scherf. I mean, maybe you really want to spend all that money on the offensive line and then you draft a guy like Panay Sewell. I mean, mean the options are endless, but then that leaves you uh, vulnerable in a spot like wide receiver because you have a guy like Tyler Boyd, you have T. Higgins, and then what? Auden Tate, Alex Erickson. If they decide to bring him back, I Auden mean,
1: Tate. It's a matter of him staying healthy. Alex Erickson. I'm not really keen on him coming back. But then again, who would you have a punt returner if you don't bring him back? Geo Bernard. You could. I mean, he did it in college. So I see what you're saying. But in this, and that's where that's where your scouting department and Duke Tobin come into play. If and uh, what's his, what's that guy's name? Ron Posse, I think. If you are able to know, okay, this position is deep in this year's draft. This is not the one that's not addressing free agency. The one that is, you can still address in free agency, maybe actually go ahead and do it anyway, but also understand that you can also, you know, fulfill that that need in the draft. This is where the front office really has to work together as an entire unit. It's a very limited front office, I understand, in terms of personnel positions and personnel, you know, those who have jobs with overseeing college scouting, pro scouting, regional scouts. The Bengals are very limited. They're short staffed within their front office. That's not because of COVID-19. That's just because they've always been that way, but you have to work together so you can build this team. Look, there are front offices like the Bengals that maybe don't have as many positions as some other teams, but that doesn't mean you still, that doesn't mean you can't ever win big in this league. You can, and the Bengals should have already done that years ago, but now we know okay in this all-important offseason we have to the front office has to work together and really know the market the class the talent at whatever position group they're going to address which hopefully is offensive line and wide receiver
0: and when you're mike brown and you see the three other teams from your division all make the playoffs in the exact same year i mean that's telling you something you saw the browns like we mentioned earlier they invested heavily in the offensive line the Ravens, they invested heavily in that defense. The Steelers, they, while they may not have you know, invested heavily in a bunch of guys, you know, they have a guy like Minkah Fitzpatrick who they brought in. They have guys like TJ Watt. They drafted very, very well. And I think Paul Brown is probably gonna be turning over in his grave if he realizes that Mike Brown is not gonna make any offseason uh, acquisitions this off-season because he's saying, Mike Brown has to say to himself, listen, you know, I've been the owner for this team for, what, 25, 30 years? I have, you know, I want to win something at some point in, in my lifetime. You know, yeah. I, you know, what do I have to show if I have been the owner for this long, but I never won a playoff game? I never went to a Super Bowl. I had the number one pick in the draft, got the best quarterback uh, in arguably the last 10 years, and we didn't do anything with it. And so... Uh, you know, I think that it would be downright embarrassing if this team didn't just go out and sign the best players available at spots of need.
1: Not only um, did they, not only did those three teams, the other three teams in the division, make the playoffs, they all won at least 11 games. 11 games. Two of them won a playoff game. I mean, and the Bengals, like, I don't think they're as far away from contention as some might think. When you think about the number of close games they were in last year, and you think about the offense and how it really started to click in weeks six through eight with Joe Burrow really having a great three-game stretch with Zach Taylor really showing he can be an effective play caller, you may not be that far, far away. But that does not mean you can just say, oh, we don't have to do anything this offseason. No. Again, what makes a great organization is even if, they're, even if they made some strides, they're going to continue to make strides, critically evaluate the roster, coaching staff, etc., and so long-term, not just for next year, but long-term, they can have sustained success. Yeah.
0: And, I'll, and here, I'll pose to you my perfect offseason for the Bengals right now. Okay. So my perfect offseason for the Bengals, I'll start with their internal free agents, the guys that are leaving this team or who I think they should not bring back. Uh, that includes, I'll just give you the bigger name guys because there's a lot of guys on this list. A.J. Green, Sean Williams, John Ross, Alex Erickson, uh, who else? Um, and then not a free agent, but I think they need to cut Geno Atkins, cut Bobby Hart, and cut BJ Finney, who's actually making four plus million dollars a year and never played a single snap for the Bengals in that Carlos Dunlap trade, uh, so they're basically paying him to just stand on the sidelines, um, so I think there's, a, you know, five or six other names on this list who are guys that, you know, are on the, are on the back end of the roster who you know, aren't taking up much of the cap anyway, so AJ Green, Sean Williams, John Ross, Alex Erickson, Alex Redmond are the top five guys I think we need to release uh, or not re-sign. Cut Geno Atkins. He's making upwards of $16 million a year. Cut Bobby Hart. He's making over $5.3 million a year. And then cut BJ Finney. And now what? This team at that point, I think, would have a little over $55 million in cap space. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So I think what they need to do Like I mentioned earlier, in the Packers, how they re-signed, or how they signed uh, Zedarius and Preston Smith, I think they would be smart to go out and sign Joe Tooney and Brandon Scherf. That immediately makes this offensive line arguably the best offensive line in football, because those are two guys who have been the best at their position for a very long time, uh, the last five or six years. And then, what I think you need to do is you have the number five pick in the draft. so say that Panay Sewell is there at number five. Take Panay Sewell. Now you have Panay Sewell, Jonah Williams, Brandon Scherf, and Joe Tooney. That would be the I mean, to me, that would be the best offensive line in this entire division. Easily. There's no question about there's no doubt about it. I have no question about it. That would be the best offensive line in the division. Jonah Williams would be in his third year. Hopefully he can stay healthy. You have two of the best guards in football. Trey Hopkins, a really solid center. And then kick Panay Sewell out to right tackle, who's one of the best offensive linemen in the entire draft, if not the best offensive lineman. But if Panay Sewell is not there, I think you're going to have to go with a guy like Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith, obviously the reigning Heisman winner, one of the best wide receivers in SEC history. And then Jamar Chase, who a lot of people might not remember from his – fantastic 2019 2020 season with Joe Burrow and LSU um he had uh what was it like I don't know his his numbers were insane you guys have to go look it up but he's one of the best wide receivers in this draft if not the best um and that would just add a very versatile playmaker a very versatile weapon for the Bengals offense not to mention that he already has that chemistry with Joe Burrow so I think if Panay Sewell is there you got to take him if Jamar Chase is there or Devontae Smith you got to take one of those guys.
1: Again, I just wonder—you know, Penay saw all the hype, and he didn't—you know—missed half of his first season, played all of his second season, and then did not play at all this season. He opted out due to COVID, so there is some concern there. Now, then again, Rashawn Slater, who Tom McShay currently has the Bengals drafting him in the sec- in the first round at number five, he also opted out. There is some concern there. Again, you just have to—I mean, by the end of the draft. I hope that this team was aggressive enough and laid it all out on the line to to yield a competitive team going into minicamp in the offseason. That's what I'm hoping for. Now, another thing that has happened since we were last on was, we kind of did talk about this, the Bengals deciding to bring back Zach Taylor. Um, And at first, I think a lot of us were kind of... um, we were what's the word? We were we did not agree with the decision. I think a lot of that was due to the pathetic performance that this team put up against the Ravens in the final game of the season losing 38-3. However, you you hear what Joe Burrow said and I have those sound bites by the way, if if we play them. Um, you, you listen to what Joe Burrow said, you listen to what Gio Bernard said, and you listen and, and you know what Tyler Boyd has said if those three guys are giving praise to Zach Taylor, particularly Joe Burrow, then is it a good thing that the Bengals brought Zach Taylor back?
0: Uh, I mean, I think that while most fans, especially you and I, may not agree with the decision to bring Zach Taylor back, I do think that Mike Brown, uh, he understands that he has a rookie quarterback or was a rookie quarterback. He has a young quarterback, and you know, keeping the continuity between the current head coach and the current starting quarterback is very important. I mean, Baker Mayfield, I don't think that team really got anywhere from switching up offensive schemes and switching up the play calling and all that his first two seasons. And then Kevin Stefanski came in and obviously it works. And having that you know, stability and having that continuity between the coach and the uh, starting quarterback, I think is very important. And I just don't think that right now Mike Brown is as much as he's willing to change up the roster and change up the uh, positional coaches, I don't think that right now he wants to take the risk of overhauling the entire coaching staff.
1: Yeah, there is something to say about that because again, it's all about you know development, and if you keep changing coaches and, the Browns, I mean, you can say well they you know they fi- they hired Freddie Kitchens and now they got Kevin Stefanski. Yes, that worked out for them. Little luck involved there because if you keep if you keep doing what the Browns did, it may not it may not work. The Bengals are like well you know, we're going to take the emotion out of it and say, okay, we're going to hold out hope here. It's one thing to hold out hope, but at the same time, there is tangible progress and evidence to illustrate that, hey, maybe Zach Taylor can work out here. And and here's the thing, too. All Lou Anarumo has to do is just, you know, obviously there's a lot of things I wish he did. I wish he had a better pass rush. Playing a 3-4 scheme that limits that you know that does kind of take away one defensive lineman because it's three linemen, four linebackers, but you need to you need to pressure more, blitz more. You know, look at what the Ravens do. I mean, they have six guys up front sometimes. I mean, the Ravens just, I mean, they, I mean, you might as well call them blitz more or something like that, or blitz yeah blitz more. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what you should call them. I mean, you you have to be able to generate a pass rush to win in this division, and obviously, you know, somehow contain the run, limit your opponents to around 100 rushing yards a game. You know, just stop giving up these big chunk plays and stop getting gashed to the point of attack. And understand if you have guys who are injured, somehow still be able to be
0: competitive with what you have. And I think not only is, you know, uh, adding to the pass rush and, you know, making that pass rush and adjusting the Schematics to having a fantastic pass rush. Pass rush, uh, very important. But I think that if you're not necessarily able to, uh, you know, spend as much money as you'd like in free agency or get the guys that you really want in the draft to add to that pass rush, I think the next best thing you could do is find guys that can prevent the other team's pass rush, pass rush from having a significant impact on your offense, because those guys aren't going to you know those guys are going to be relentless those guys are going to spend the money to get the guys that they want to the brown steelers um and ravens have all shown that they will do it um and so the Bengals just need to invest heavily in the guys that are going to stop them because right now um i don't necessarily see them spending a lot of money on edge rushers or interior guys um you know they have dj reader um Carl Lawson was one of the best edge rushers in football. Sam Hubbard, I think he might have had a down year, but um, you know, I, I don't necessarily count him out. I think that he's in for a big third year. Um, but Or a fourth year. Third year. Yeah, fourth. fourth. He was also injured
1: last year, yeah, and yeah. so too is DJ Reader.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I think that the best thing that this team can do right now is just invest heavily in the offensive line, like I mentioned earlier with Brandon Scherf and Joe Tooney, and um, if you're maybe to able, able, if you're able to spend some money in edge rushers and uh, you know pass rush, I think that'd be fantastic. But you know, looking at the market right now for these edge rushing guys, Vaughn Miller, uh, Bud Dupree, uh, I think Matthew Judon, um, Leonard Williams, Melvin Ingram, uh, you're gonna have to spend a lot of money if you want to get a guy like that, a guy who's gonna get you 10 plus sacks a year. Yeah. But um, it's just, you know, if you can't, if you can't. Uh, um, you know equal the exact pass rush that another team has, then at least equal you know the amount of or what's what 's the word i 'm trying to find just be able to invest heavily in stopping those guys on the other team is what i 'm trying to say
1: yes um so we, we don 't have that much time left We've got about six minutes so Joe Burrow is back in Cincinnati he is. uh for to continue his re, the rehab from his uh knee surgery um I think you have to be really, really encouraged as to where he is in the process. He, I think he said he'll start throwing around mid-February. Yes, and, he, I mean, and he's looking. I mean, he's walking without, you know, crutches. Um, I mean, he comes even in. a brace. He's not even wearing yeah, a exactly. brace. I exactly. Mean, and he says his knee, by the way, is only at 15% right now. So, whatever, 100% or even 90% is going to be, I'm all in to see what that's like. And, you know, I think, I don't know if you watched his interview with Colin Cowherd last, uh, no, it was two weeks ago, Thursday, January Uh, uh, 7th. And basically... Was it the 7th? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. January 7th. And basically, Colin asked him, will you be ready for week one? And Joe says, I think I'll be just fine. Yeah. I think I'll be ready. (laughs) That's all the confidence you should need as a Bengals fan. I
0: think. Joe Burrow, you know, having, you know, he's actually been like, you know, he was never really in the limelight. I feel like his, uh, I mean, obviously he was busy during the season and stuff and, but, you know, he hasn't been, uh, the Baker Mayfield, you know, being in all the commercials and stuff and having the limelight on TV all the time. But, you know, now he's coming on all these interviews. He was, uh, doing a live stream during the national championship. Um, you know, he's on Colin Coward and then, um, you know, he just did the recent Bengals interview and, you know, from the sounds of it, it sounds like he's going to be back. It sounds like he's going to be healthy for week one. And, you know, that's his... The only thing you could ask for right now as a Bengals fan is that, you know, your starting quarterback, your future and uh, hope is going to be ready for week one. And, you know, it's exciting. I'm excited. Um, and hopefully, you know, this team is going to do everything in his power to uh, surround him with the best weapons and talent that, you know, he can have.
1: Yeah, and you think about burrow coming back from an injury as devastating as his was i mean carson palmer had the same injury and i know jeff hobson wrote something about that he comes back the next season seven months after being injured plays in the first pre and plays in the 3rd preseason game 9 of 14 140 somewhat yards three touchdown passes and then in the regular season he throws 4035 yards 28 touchdowns 13 interceptions so you can come back from an injury like the one Palmer had, like the one Burrow has, it is possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone ever said it was impossible. They knew it was going to be a long road. I think the only question that was uh, out there was, is he going to be ready by the time week one rolls around? And, um, you know, from the sounds of it, uh, I think he said something along the lines of he was like five or six weeks ahead of where he actually should be. Um, the doctor said usually the guys don't start doing what he's doing around like week until like week 12 of uh you know recovery but he's doing it in like week five or whatever it is you know so that's incredibly encouraging so seeing what he's going to be actually during week 12 and week 13 of his rehab you know he'll be throwing the football around maybe you know start running and sprinting i think he's actually said he's going to be start running and sprinting here soon but uh he also mentioned that he's going to be doing rehab with uh trey hopkins and cj uzama so hopefully they got those guys can build a bond and you know get come back stronger than ever yeah
1: um, so we got about three minutes left. Yet uh,
0: this past weekend,
1: the NFL divisional round playoffs. The uh, losing my train of thought there. So the championship games are set. The Buccaneers will play at Green Bay next Sunday. This upcoming Sunday, three o five on Fox. The AFC Championship game, Buffalo Kansas City, six forty on CBS. Pretty entertaining weekend, I will say that. Uh, AFC North, the Ravens lose to the Bills. Browns lose a close one of the Chiefs. What are your thoughts?
0: Uh, you know, I think it was kind of scary seeing guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes go down. Um, and, you know, the Bills took advantage of the opportunity, and, you know, they showed out for Bills Mafia, and I think that it's awesome to see advancing to the AFC Championship. Josh Allen is playing like an MVP. Um, that defense is playing phenomenal. was stopped Lamar Jackson, one of the most potent offenses in the last few years in the NFL. Um, you know, Mahomes went down, but it sounds like he'll be ready for the uh, game against uh, the Bills. Um, you know, the Browns had a great season. I think it's awesome for them to have those fans, you know, get to see something that they haven't, that team hasn't seen in a long time. But, you know, Chad Henney came in through that fourth and one, fourth and one uh, pass uh, to basically seal the game. Uh, and then, um, you know, Drew Brees in his final game of his career, most likely, you know, looked not very good through three interceptions. Tom Brady took advantage like he always does and uh, won that game pretty easily. And then, you um, what, what am i missing
1: rams packers rams
0: packers uh you know rams um they have some kiwi controversy who knows I, there's an article coming out about sean and the rams maybe not being as close as a lot of people think but you know i'm, I'm excited for these games uh we'll get yeah. uh, i think one we'll maybe save my predictions for the next show
1: i think yeah i'll save mine as well i will say um aaron Rodgers, another mvp performance buffalo look the ravens actually dominated that game statistically but the difference was Two missed field goals by the Ravens and a pick six from Buffalo. 100 yards for Taryn Johnson. Uh, Jerry Hughes, two sacks, two quarterback hits. Or uh, let me check those numbers. Jerry Hughes, though, was the difference on that defensive line for the Bills. He, uh, two two sacks, two tackles, lost two quarterback hits. Browns Chiefs, don't let the score fool you. The Browns only got close because Patrick Mahomes left the game. The Chiefs dominated that game statistically. And, Buck and your Saints, look, uh, Tom Brady, uh, signature row win. Didn't put up the most eye-popping numbers, but did enough to lead the Buccaneers to a win. Their defense was outstanding in the second half, forced three turnovers. Uh, Is it the end of the road for Drew Brees? It seems inevitable from what we saw on social media yesterday and what Jake Glazer reported on Fox. So it will be interesting next week. We are about out of time.
0: We are about out of time. So thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you guys very soon. And uh, we'll have more uh, free agency coverage and drive coverage coming up very soon. So thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you guys soon.